Welcome to Church on Morgan's weekly sermon podcast. This free resource and all of our ministries are supported by generous gifts from people like you. If this podcast is meaningful in your life, we hope you will consider supporting Church on Morgan by making a gift today. Visit churchonmorgan.org and select giving from the drop-down menu. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Our first scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Our second scripture is from 1 John. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Christ sacrificed his life for us. This is why we ought to live sacrificially to our fellow believers and not just be out for ourselves. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know when we're living truly, living in God's reality. It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of, and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. Again, this is God's command, to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. And this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us, by the spirit he gave us. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Um, my name's Justin, if we've never met before. I'm a campus pastor here at Church on Morgan, and um, it has been a treat for me for the last two weeks to listen to some other voices uh, in our community bring a good word. And, uh, but I'm excited to be with you this morning and feel like uh, God has given me something really simple, uh, but because of its simplicity, challenging to communicate. And, uh, and so uh, I wonder if you would join me just for a moment in prayer before we begin. God, this morning we, uh, we turn our attention to your word and in um, the wisdom of the church. Uh, these passages today lay out for us a very clear and simple uh, a message about who you are. But if we're honest, um, sometimes the most plain and obvious and simple things are the hardest for us um, to see. 
and even more so to experience, to feel, to know in a deep way. And so we pray that uh, somehow, God, you would help us see uh, again what maybe many of us have long forgotten uh, just about who you are in your goodness. We love you, God. We trust you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So um, this morning I want to ask you a question um, that's been on my mind uh, lately, which is simply this. How, how do you know who someone really is? Like, how do you know who someone is? Uh, if you're currently in the kind of dating world, uh, my hunch is this is a very real and present question for you, right? Uh, some of us, if, if maybe it's been a minute since we've been in that scene, we, we kind of, we have to think about this question. But those of you who are in that scene, you find yourself asking this question all of the time, right? Uh, there's this kind of sense in which you, 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 you see this person on Match or wherever, and, uh, and there's this connection, and you go, but, but who are they really, right? Who, who is this person? And you can read what they wrote about themselves. Um, you can, thanks to social media now, you can stalk them legally. You can go online. You can see kind of who they're friends with. You can see kind of what pictures they post. Are they good pictures? Are they bad? Are they fuzzy? Are they clear? Are they a lot of selfies? Not a lot of selfies. Are there, who are the people in their life? What are they wearing? What are their friends saying about them? What kinds of conversations they have? What do they post about? Um, puppies, flowers, politics. Who is this person, right? Um, or, or maybe you, you kind of read that profile on Bumble and you find yourself going, like, it sounds like they've got their life together, but what's the deal with them always riding their bike everywhere, right? I mean, it's just kind of like there's this, <laughs> there, there are these, like, competing images that you just, you, you're trying to reconcile. There's this sense in which, like, um, how do you know who someone really is? And, and there's these filters that many of us, we go, do, do you take people at their word? Some of us do. Some of us are wired that way. No, that can't be true of them because they told me they would never. And you're like, well, if you believe what people say, right? And then there's others of us who are maybe a little more cold-hearted. It's just like, I'll tell you who they are. Just watch what they do, right? Um, or this has been uh, for us, for me, just personally to be completely transparent, um, a week where I've spent a lot of time thinking about this question. How do you know who someone really is. And the reason I've been thinking a lot about it is because our church is blessed to be growing and as part of that to be growing even as a staff. And so um, over this past week we've been looking at, uh, we have a, a job that was listed online and we've had like over 60 some people submit resumes, which was like incredible that 60 people would think that this was potentially worth their time in their life to give in this direction of our I mean, it's amazing. But as you sit down, you, you have this giant question of like, but who are these people, right? Um, and, and do we take them at what they put on their resume? Uh, or do we take them at what we see on their social media? Like, cue just for everybody, all the millennials in the room, like, we look there, right? Um, do we uh, take them at what other people say about them? Or what, how, do you, how do you know? Because there's this precious thing that we have on our team and in our church, and we don't want to mess it up. And so we're just trying our best to figure out how do you know who someone, someone is. And the truth is, all of us send mixed signals, and, and we can get this wrong. Uh, to be honest with you, this week, uh, we were talking to uh, a potential candidate, and um, uh, three or four of our folks who were meeting uh, with this individual, they, after the meeting, I mean, it was like, like tears of joy in their eyes. Like, I just, I can't even believe that this person would consider us. Like, there's, like, like we would be foolish not to hire this individual. Like, 
I don't, maybe, do they even know who we are? You know, it was like one of those moments you ever had somebody like that far out of your league. They're just like, this is crazy. This doesn't even make any sense. This is magical. This is amazing. And there was just this little like tinge somewhere deep down in me that was like, yeah, it kind of does seem to, like, this doesn't feel, like there is, and, um, and so I made a call to somebody I knew who I thought might know who this person was. And I was like, dude, you're not gonna believe it, but this person just applied for this job. Unbelievable. And uh, his response was like, is that not a compelling resume? They're like, so good. And was that not like the best interview like you've ever had? I'm like, so good. And he's like, run for your life. <laughs> um, I was like, what? You're like, no way, man. Are we talking about the same guy? Like, no, no, run, like run. And began to sort of unpack the story. And all of a sudden it was like, man, like how is it that like, like, who are you? Like, who, how do you know who someone really is? You can have a conversation. You can listen. You can have your intuition meter just rocking away. Um, and you can think you've got it. And then it's just something totally different, right? And so um, this morning, what I want to talk about is just the most basic, simple, maybe the only theological question that matters at all. And it's simply this. Who is God? Who is God? How do you know who God is? And if we're going to be honest, kind of in the room this morning, I think a lot of us, we, those same kinds of like judgment, discernment, uh, experience we've had trying to sort other people out in our life is, it resonates even our own search and spiritual journey about trying to understand who God is. But there are times when you hear sort of um, somebody spout off Jesus' resume and you go, oh yeah, that's it. That is exactly who I believe God to be and experience God to be, and that, I'm all in on that. And then you can flip the channel and hear somebody else narrate the same Jesus and get terrified. You go, can that, how can that be the same? How can we be talking about the same individual? How can that Jesus be this Jesus? Like, who is the real Jesus? Will God please stand up? Who is this? You can have this experience even reading the scriptures. You find yourself um, looking through a text and, and it just, life wells up in you. There's this sense of resonance. Like, this has to be true. It's so beautiful and good. I couldn't have created it on my own. Surely this is what God is like. Flip the page and be horrified. And go, how do we make sense of this? How can this God be that God? How can these two um, witnesses somehow point to the same direction? Like, how, who is God? And that's why this morning, the, uh, the passages that we've been given, it's Jesus makes it plain. Jesus boils it down. Jesus says, I know you're trying to discern what God is like and who God is and who I am. And let me tell you very simply this. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Which, you know, initially it just kind of, like, when was the last time you saw a sheep, right? I mean... Um, I, I don't know kind of what the current sort of ordinances are downtown, but I, don't, I haven't seen many around Oakwood lately. You know, it's just this kind of like, is this, like, how helpful is this metaphor for us, to be honest? And the truth is, it's a loaded metaphor, and I don't want to spend too much time going in this direction. I could. It could be an easy distraction, but just kind of, for example, shepherds, uh, we think of this quaint picture. I, I assume that's Ireland. I don't know. It could be Texas. But there's this, like... <laughs> sense like when I think about a shepherd it's just this very like 
uh, beautiful, serene, like, ah, God is the good shepherd, right? But one commentator I read this week said, listen, shepherds were seen as uh, dirty people. Um, They were outcasts. They lived on the fringes of society. They held these jobs specifically because they had been in some way probably pushed out of society. Therefore, they were seen as dangerous. They're seen as risky, dirty. Um, These are people you wouldn't want to be caught in a dark alley with at night, right? Uh, To say that Jesus is the good shepherd, one uh, commentator said, it'd be like, in some ways, it'd almost be like if you you, um, were today to say something like, Jesus is the good migrant worker. It, It had that edge. Jesus was making some sort of statement about what God is like, that God is for those who are vulnerable, those on the outskirts, those who are poor, those who've been pushed out, kicked out, who don't belong. This is what our God is like, but he's like the good shepherd. Uh, And so there's this whole layered thing here, but the theme that Jesus keeps coming back to in this metaphor over and over and over again is this idea that he is the good shepherd, as in there's only one, as in no other shepherd would ever do what this shepherd is about to do, and that is that this shepherd lays down his very life for his sheep. It's like the most ridiculous transaction of all time, that, that a shepherd would give up his own life for his livestock. And yet this is to be a window into ultimate reality about the God who's at the center of the universe and what this place we call home is all about. This this idea that, that God is like a shepherd who so loves his sheep that he would sacrifice his own life for his sheep is the kind of story that we say, we tell this story in church all the time. And that's why I say it's one of the most obvious, simple things. And yet for many of us, it just, it's, it's grown cold over the years. We can't really connect with it. That's why this week when I, uh, I went over to Alamo Draft House, anybody been? Yes. It's fantastic. You, you all really should go like maybe even right now. Um, <laughs> you should go and have brunch there today. It's fantastic. But um, I went, uh, with Jonathan, who was here last Sunday, and we went and saw this movie, A Quiet Place. Have any of you all seen that? Yeah? How amazing is this movie? Uh, how many of you all want to see A Quiet Place, but you haven't yet? Uh, I'm so sorry for about what's about to happen. Um, I really am. I really am. Uh, yeah. So, here, here's the deal. As I'm sitting in this theater this matinee, eating <laughs> my lunch. This is, this is the one recommendation I would say. Like the whole point of Alamo Draft House is they have like incredible food and drink and all this stuff and waiters come to you during your show. And, it, and I was just like, let's go see this. We went to see this movie, but the movie, if you don't know about it, it's, it's like essentially silent. So for the first like 30 minutes, we just listen to each other chew. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I, almost any other movie would be a better experience at Alamo Draft House. But... Um, but the, the premise of this movie, if you haven't seen the trailer, is that, I don't know, these aliens, entities, something, have kind of taken over planet Earth. And, uh, and the very simple idea is that whenever something makes a sound, um, they come out from wherever they're hiding and they eat those people, right? I know, so follow me. Um, <laughs> and so the whole movie is like silent. Like there's, there's like almost no dialogue. Uh, the very little bit of dialogue we have, people are whispering to each other like in bunkers, right? Because the second a sound is made, these creatures come out from wherever and, and they take these people down. And, um, you know, I, I'm not like a big scary movie guy, but I like agreed to it because I wasn't going to say no in the face of a bunch of my friends. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, but, 
the good news is, it's not really a scary movie. It's, it's, it's a really profound drama um, that takes on um, some of the most important things in life, like what is family and what is love and how is, it's like in this crazy, silent, animal, monster, alien sort of scene is like all this beautiful stuff happening. And so there's this moment in the movie where uh, John Krasinski there uh, with his uh, two children and his daughter uh, in one of the opening scenes, something really tragic happens in her, their family and she's, um, she's a part of it. And she assumes a lot of blame and responsibility for it. And because of it, she feels like her dad doesn't love her. At least he doesn't love her like he loves her brother. And it's this kind of ongoing space in the movie. Uh, she carries this weight of guilt and shame and distance and uh, questions about her relationship to her dad. And, and later in the movie, um, some things happen and one of these alien monster things, creatures, uh, comes out, and uh, she and her brother are kind of stuck, and their life is very much threatened. And in this scene, as she's um, on kind of the precipice of destruction and death, uh, her dad comes out of nowhere and looks at her um, from across the field and affirms for her just how much he loves her. Um, and then something really crazy happens. <laughs> but it's one of these scenes where all of a sudden you, you remember again the, what the power is, the emotional power, the, the dramatic force of somebody laying their life down for somebody else. What it feels like, what somebody must be feeling and experiencing, and how much that individual or person would, would mean to them to, to make a move like that. I, it, it's one of those scenes where you find yourself in a horror movie and everybody's like looking around like, I'm not crying, you're crying, right? <laughs> it's, it's this bizarre thing that touches us in a really deep way. This, this is kind of what it's like when God says, if you want to know what God is like, God is like a shepherd who makes the ridiculous, reckless decision to lay his own life down for his sheep. That's what God is like. You find yourself experiencing one thing and then experiencing another thing and not sure what God is like. This is our North Star. This is where we come back to. You read one scripture and then you read another and you don't know how to reconcile them. You bring yourself back to who Jesus is, the full revelation of what God is like. And Jesus in his very words tells us, I'm, I'm like a good shepherd, the good shepherd, who lays down his life for those he loves. And, um, and just, I think Jesus knows us too well that the subliminal like question or whatever subconsciously we, we we just have this like so Jesus lays his life down he's the good shepherd he lays his life down for sheep sheep like me uh, or sheep like us or what kind of sheep and um, this is what Jesus says he goes listen I I have sheep that you don't even know anything about okay that do not belong to this fold and I'm going to bring them also and they too will listen to my voice and this week as I've been trying to hear God's voice, the voice of the good shepherd who says, it's a love that I lay my life down for you and for a whole bunch of people that you don't even know, right? Uh, I stumbled into this really beautiful moment. I don't know if some of y'all saw this. Um, I didn't show this at nine. We'll show it now. If it bombs, I won't show it at five. But here is a, here's a scene. This is the other scene that I can show you without feeling like I'm ruining a movie for you um, from this week of an interaction that the Pope had with a little boy. 
So this week, I, um, I see that clip, and I, I there, by the way, there's a spiritual leader for you, but um, he says, uh, I don't know who goes to heaven. That's God's decision there. But let me ask you a couple of questions. What is God's heart like? What is God's heart like? It's the heart of a father. It's the heart of a father who loves his children so much to lay his own life down for his children. What, how much courage, how much um, strength must have it taken for a man who didn't, who struggled to believe in God to still have his children baptized? What do you think the heart of a father would be like for a father like that? Um, sure, do you think God would want to keep someone like that far from him, right? And you can feel the edge of this question, and the crowd won't even like, it's the Pope asking them, leading them, and they're like, mm, I'm not answering that one. <laughs> and he just says, will you say it with courage? And they say no. And he just turns to the boy and goes, well, there's your answer. Like there are sheep in this fold that we don't know anything about. Uh, there are people who hear God's voice and who know God and God knows who love deeply that God, the good shepherd, lays down his life, not just for some of us, not just for you or me or for our people or their people or some people, but for all people. If you want to know what God is like, God is love. And if we want to know what love is like, God shows us what love is like. Love is when you put someone else before yourself. Love is when you lay your own life down. This is why I love this quote from Bob Goff, who's got a brand new book out that's incredible, on this theme just called Love Everybody Always. Love Everybody Always. This is what the heart of God is like. And he says the incredible message that love or Jesus came to earth to give was that we're all tied for first in God's mind. That we're all tied for first in God's mind. If you have a hard time reconciling what you're reading or what you're experiencing with who God is, this is a reminder of what God is like. This morning that we, we get distracted and taken in so many directions and so many theological and heavy debates and arguments in the church and God just keeps pulling us in. This is what I'm like. This is what I'm like. You can trust me. Um, and it isn't that Jesus just says this about himself. It's not just a, a really like savvy sounding resume. This is what he actually does with his life. So whether you're I take people for what they say or I take people for how they act, good news is it's, it's the same. There's no division or hypocrisy in this one. And so that leads us to this big question then. It's like, if, if God is love, if this is what God is like, if God is like a shepherd who makes a ridiculous decision to give his own life for his livestock, then how do we experience this God? What does it mean like to live in the presence of this God, to walk with this God? And that's where 1 John, this letter, it picks up. And um, it says this, it says, this is how we've come to understand in light of Jesus and what we've seen. This is how we've come to understand and experience love. Love being again defined by laying your own life down for another. That Christ sacrificed his life for us. And so we ought to live sacrificially for each other and not just be out for ourselves. So if you see some brother or sister in need and you have the means to do something about it, but you turn a cold shoulder and you do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. John's pretty hard on this. He, he kind of says if, if we know what God is like, and God is like love that gives itself for the needs of others, and you want to experience that God, you want to experience that love, then you have to give love. You want to live love? You want to live in the presence of love? Then the first step is to give love. And so if, if, you're, if you find yourself in the presence of somebody who's in need and you walk away, you, you've stepped out of the flow. 
You've stepped out of the ultimate reality of this existence. You've stepped out of, in many ways, the presence of God. And who made that love disappear? You did. How can you say that you're, this is why John says that when the world looks at us, the way that they'll know that we're part of Jesus' tribe is because of the way we love. It's this very simple thing. And And here's what I was thinking about this week, is that when we talk about people laying their own lives down for others, in our culture, that's like, that's reserved for like, the most rare, rare, rare occasion. If somebody would do any gesture or act that feels even similar to that, you, we make a documentary out of them, right? And we all go watch it. This thing that we, you know, imagine to be so incredibly extraordinary, Jesus says is just the most ordinary basic fact of everybody who follows me. The people who live in my presence and, and walk with me are the people who regularly lay their own lives down for other people. Um, to follow Jesus is to put other people before yourself. If you want to experience God in this life, you want to feel that mojo, you want to know you're in the right place, you're living in the flow of the universe, this is what you do. You begin to love those who have needs around you. And uh, I, I love kind of in, in Bob Goff's latest book, he just says, you know, there, there's no school to learn how to do this. Like a lot of us are like, that's great. I, I'd love to sign up for a class on that, like how to, how to love people. Could we do that this fall? And uh, he's like, there is no school for how to learn to love your neighbor, there's just the house next door, right? There is no big grand project, there's just whoever's sitting on your left or your right or who you're gonna walk into in the parking lot when you leave this place. Everybody around you is your teacher in the school of love. There's an opportunity, learning how to love everybody always is what it means to follow Jesus. But here is... um, So to experience the God who is love, we have to give love. The second thing I would say, and I love this in 1 John's letter, he continues, he says, my dear children, let's not just talk about it, let's practice it. That's like, that feels like something that would be on Church of Morgan's website. Um, If it's not, we'll get it there. But this is the only thing, this is the only way we'll know that we're living truly, living in God's reality. I love this. It's like a little like side effects might include. Um, It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. There's this, um, so I know we talk about this stuff way too much, but like I'm an Enneagram One, okay? Um, So uh, Enneagram One personality profile, this is the perfectionist. We have any perfectionists in the room, right? Um, So part of like my uh, way that I'm wired, and unfortunately you probably know some people like me, uh, is that like uh, we have a very strong inner critic right? Uh, the bad news about this is that means I'm incredibly critical of all of you. Um, <laughs> the good news is I'm even more critical of myself, all right? If that makes it better, I don't know if that makes it better, but it feels like it should to me. Um, so, the, uh, so like the experience of this, uh, like I had a great moment of this this week as I was sitting with our communications team on Tuesday night, and we were doing some wordsmithing around some of our core values as a church so that we might really help communicate these well to everybody. Like, this is who we are. This is how we behave around here. And uh, we'd been at it for about an hour and a half, and I I was just like pushing, 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 and things are getting better and better and better, and I'm getting happier and happier and happier. And all of a sudden, I start looking around the table like 8.30, and I can tell like it sort of feels like the life is leaving these guys. Like, what's wrong with them? Like, come on, y'all. Like, we're almost there. And um, as I'm like continuing to push, uh, Emily uh, Sexton interrupts me and she just goes, can I ask a quick question? Um, what's your personality profile? Like, what are you? And I was like, uh, I'm an Enneagram One, like perfectionist. And she's like, guys, meeting's over. And then like, um, 
<laughs> and it was like, it was this kind of like, hey, Justin, you can take it the last 15% on your own, but we're, we're good enough. Like, we're going to go home. And, um, and so if you know what that's like, or you know someone like that, or, or maybe that's not even your personality, but you live with this sense of never-ending condemnation, judgment, critical spirit. It's never good enough. I'm never good enough. I'm failing as a parent. I'm such, I'm, I'll always be alone. Nobody, whatever that thing is that's inside of you, it's really easy for us to get like really, really wound up in it. And God's saying, by the way, if, if you would begin to live for somebody else, if you'd be, get out of your own self-project and like perfecting that thing inside of yourself, you just for a few moments would turn your attention to somebody else's needs. If you would open your arms up to serve somebody else, what you'll find is you open your arms that you can finally receive the grace you've been longing for yourself for so long. There's this powerful thing that it, not only when we want to experience God and live in love do we have to give love, but we find that when we begin to give love to other people, this ironic thing happens where we receive it ourselves. It's like the second that I can be generous and gracious and merciful and help you, I find myself receiving grace and generosity and mercy. It's this beautiful way that the, we were meant to live in the space of love. And so um, when we, if we will give love, we will find that we can receive love, receive love. And then here's the last thing, and I love this. He just says at the very end of this chapter in 1 John, he says, so as we keep his commands, which is essentially just love God and love each other, as we love each other, we will live deeply and surely in him, and he lives in us. This is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. This, this kind of idea is that when, um, when you love something like this, when you give yourself to someone else like this, when you make somebody else's needs more important than your own in this sort of way, what you find is that, um, that when you love someone like that, love something like that, you become one with it. This is kind of the profound mystery of marriage, right? When two people sort of step up and they both commit to make the other person their number one. And then we say, watch this profound mystery unfold. As these two people make the other more important, they will become one. But as we love each other in this way, we find that we're becoming one with it. This is, John could have said it this way just as easily. When you live love, you'll become love. When we allow this to be the pattern of our life, when we begin to love other people, we won't just be giving and receiving love, but over time we'll find that we're actually becoming Love. This is why God says stuff like, um, I and you and you and me, we just sort of abide together. The line gets real fuzzy. You start loving the way that God is loving, you'll start becoming more and more like God. Is it, to love something like this is to become one with it. I was watching this documentary this week. This is the last thing kind of I'll share, but and, um, but it's on this guy, Ram Das, who's like the spiritual teacher, right, in um, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what tradition he's in. He's probably in all traditions or something. But he, he says this thing along the way where he just says, listen, when I don't know who I am, when I can't figure out who I am, I serve you. And then when I do know who I am, I am you. It sounds like some mystic spirituality, new age something, right? But I, that's like what Jesus is saying. Like he was here first, Okay. It's this idea of like, you, you get all wrapped up in yourself and you can't figure out who you are or what you are or what you're here for. Just start serving somebody else. And as you do that, you'll find this beautiful kind of unity 
between you and the people that God loves and the God who loves you. This is who God is. This is what God is like, and this is how we experience that God. God is a good shepherd who lays down his very life for sheep. And as we put others before ourselves, we experience that same love of God in and all around us. So that's my prayer for us this week. Let me um, close this here, and Zach will be up in a second. God, we... um, We miss the plot so quickly, so often, the very simple truth about who you are. God, you don't call us to come and to study and to learn and a whole bunch of stuff about yourself, but you invite us into a relationship. You invite us to become what you are. Love for the world so that the world might know that you are love. There's so much press, so many counter stories even within our own lives. And yet we pray, God, somehow you would unify us to be a community that loves everybody, always. And we do that to experience your love in the world, to experience it for ourselves, even in the hope that one day we might become it. We love you, God. We love your story. It's better than the ones we write for ourselves. It's in your name we pray.